Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Surrey Postgrad Podcast. I'm Adeline, and later I will, be, I will be speaking to Jade and Ayan of the Surrey Peer Supporters, but for now I'm talking to nuclear physics PhD student Matt Brunette about all things PhD, his role as a PGR rep and co-chair of the FAPS PGR Student Engagement Forum, and what it's like traveling for research. Welcome, Matt. Hello. So, how far into your PhD are you now, and what is it that you actually work on? So, I'm now in my final year. Um, if I get the extension that I'm expecting, I should be finishing in March of next year. Um, and I'm working on heavy nuclear physics, so looking more specifically at the structure of an isotope called 208 polonium, um, and looking at the beta decay of that, and what we can figure out about the structure of the nucleus from that. That sounds really cool. Is that something that you can manage really well working over here at Surrey? Do we have the equipment to do that? So a lot of, so there are facilities that do nuclear research in the UK, but for most of the experiments that we do, we need these massive accelerators that you can only really find in facilities like CERN and uh, other facilities that you won't have necessarily heard of if you're not in the field. So there are some in France, some in, um, in Poland, in, there are quite a few in America as well. That sounds really cool. Um, so tell us about what the FAPS PGR um, Student Engagement Forum is and what your role as a rep and co-chair um, sort of encompasses. Yeah, so as a PGR rep, I represent PGRs, specifically the PGRs in the nuclear physics section. So there's about 10 to 12 of us, depending on how many people have finished and how many people have come in. Um, and then on top of that, we have a load of other reps for different areas in physics. And then as FEPS encompasses engineering, chemistry, all the other sciences, we then have reps from those communities as well. So every month or two months, we have a student engagement forum where all of the reps come together in a meeting, um, which I co-chair alongside uh, Marlon Schultz. And we discuss issues that PGRs are having, um, which can be anything from uh, struggling with the amount of extra, extra demonstrating that they have to do, um, to issues with finance, issues with social socialising, um, which of course has become a lot more important with COVID. There have been a lot of issues with lab access, etc. Um, and then following on from those meetings there will be there'll be some issues that myself and Marlon and other people in the session can help with because we have representatives from IT services and from the doctoral college and from the students union um, so there are some issues that we can take off to them and they can try and sort but for more major issues which we think should be raised at a higher level we can take them on to the uh, faculty research degrees commission FRDC meeting um, which is a meeting of all the PGR directors as well as other uh, high-ranking members of staff within FEPS and then we can discuss issues like complications with labs that people are having um, and we act in that meeting we act as the student voice so quite often there will be a discussion that will be about 
how PGRs might respond to this or the best way to discuss with PGRs and get information out to us. And myself and Merlin can provide that kind of um, opinion to sort of balance out the, the staff in that meeting. So it sounds like you've got um, quite an important reason to have your ear to the ground and be in contact with a lot of PGRs. Um, and does that is that something that you do find you have where you know almost everyone that you would be getting your information from or any of the issues like have a almost not necessarily one-to-one -one relationship but they feel comfortable coming to you yeah i mean within within my group and the, and the pgrs that i represent there's definitely um they they feel comfortable coming to me with issues that they might have um as well as that i live with two other pgrs who occasionally will <laughs> will tell me issues that they've passed on to their reps as well. Um, but I think it's very important as a PGR rep and as a rep in general to have that engagement and make sure that everyone knows who you are, everyone knows who they can come to for help if they need it or to take things up to higher levels. Um, and then in terms of finding people who know how to fix issues that we're having, um, it's been very useful getting to know um, the people in the doctoral college and the students' union that come to our meetings and having good relationships with them because then have a good relationship with them, they're more willing to, to help with issues that we might be having. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I know that your group is quite tight-knit. Um, I find some, just from normal conversations, some PGRs are not necessarily sure how to who to go to and where to go when they have an issue and then end up just talking about it themselves or not getting any resolution to it. Um, do you have any advice as to how they might be able to have their voice heard? Yeah, I mean, the, the, first, the first port of call for a PGR, if, if it's not an issue that, you're, that is more for your supervisor, if it's an issue that you're having as a PGR, I would say your first port of call should be your PGR rep. Regrettably, there are there are PGR reps and reps in general who are not, they sort of take on the role for the title and not necessarily wanting to do anything with it. Um, and in that respect, it's, it's a little bit sad that they don't have that place to go, but you can always go to your PGR director if you want to take something even higher or if your department has multiple reps, either for multiple departments within your department itself, um, or sometimes I think um, chemistry and maths are good examples, which have two or three reps for the whole department. Um, so if you know who your reps are, you can go to the right people. Um, but ultimately, if you are getting, if you get very frustrated with it, then my advice would potentially be to run as a rep for yourself and then you can sort of be the change that you want to see kind of thing. That got re really inspirational and I think it's, it's important to know for sure. Because sometimes you feel like they're off, they're off in the distance, they're not something that you are, but they're just like you and me. Um, yeah. and, and quite often I, I hear a lot of people in their second year, for example, who don't feel like they have the experience to be a rep, but you've gone through the whole of first year. There are so many things that you now know how to do that 
new starters don't know how to do and I think people underestimate how much experience and, and knowledge they have. Yeah, probably. It's, it's very easy to feel like you don't know anything because you're always immersed in a field where you're constantly t testing the boundaries of it and so you're always in this state of I don't know enough and that sort of flows over and transfers into other areas I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. So how has the responsibility of being not just a PGR rep, but also co-chair of the student engagement, uh, the um, FAP student engagement forum um, fit in with your research as well as, as we'll soon talk about the travel that you had to do for your science? Yeah, so it definitely, there, there is definitely a, an amount of work that I've had to take on in my role. Um, I think having a co-chair to sort of support me and, and sort of support each other is very helpful. Um, but ultimately, my, in my role as a rep, I am, I am there as a representative. And if, if my group isn't having any problems, and they're not telling me anything, then my role is essentially to organize the social events, which I don't mind so much. You know, I, I get to order the alcohol for Christmas kind of thing. Um, but in terms of um, helping out, it's, I go to one meeting for the FRDC every month and one meeting for the Student Engagement Forum, which I organize and set up the agenda for, and then obviously chair the meeting. Um, so I'd say in a given month, it's maybe three to four hours maximum that I'm, that I'm taking out for, for this additional work. Um, but the reward that I get out of it is is much greater than that. I mean, the other day I was I was re redoing my CV and I was thinking about all the different things that I've learned in this role that I can sort of give examples of, sort of my organization skills, time management, etc. It's so much easier to write that with examples, which I don't think you get just doing a PhD. Yeah, I, I've found that. <laughs> I feel like you constantly think you've managed to figure out your time management and then you get more responsibility and it feels like it goes out the window. But yeah, no, that, that sounds really good. And um, I'm, I'm sure our listeners would be uh, interested to know that this is an opportunity that is available to them and what it, what it actually entails if you were to take it on. I mean, so many PhD students already have that time management and organization skills. It's just a question of just saying that on your CV is a lot, looks a lot worse than being able to say it and say, oh, well, I also did that in this role kind of thing. Yeah. So it's probably more common than you would imagine, but rarely talked about. Um, would you mind sharing where and why and possibly how long you went on like research trips and how that like contributes to the data that you might be getting in your PhD? Yeah, so my, my first experience of a research trip was actually during my undergrad, which I also did at Surrey, as part of the MPhys placement scheme. Um, so as part of the MPhys at Surrey, you go for a placement for about a year. Um, so mine went from February to December, um, where you're given a project at whatever lab you're, you're based at. Some people end up based at Surrey, but most people will end up going somewhere. Um, quite a few people end up at the Atomic Weapons Establishment, 
um, which is, I forget where it is, but it's in the UK. Um, and I ended up in a facility called LPC Con in France, um, where I was working on a simulation of a neutron detector, um, which was a lot of fun and I met a lot of people there. Um, and it's actually what encouraged me to go on to do a PhD because I found that a lot of an experimental nuclear physics PhD is going off to these labs and doing experiments and being part of that research community. Um, so over the course of my PhD, most of the experiments are around a week to two weeks, somewhere in, in that region, um, because you need a lot of beam time to get enough statistics to actually measure something um, in most nuclear physics experiments at least. Um, so I've been now to most of the nuclear physics facilities in Europe. So Finland, Romania, France, Germany, Poland, Switzerland, etc. Um, as well as uh, just before lockdown, I was able to go on an experiment in Japan, which was quite exciting. Um, but yeah, most of, most of those types of experiments are much more about so I guess pulling your weight is probably the best way of putting it. So you are there as a PhD student to learn and to find out what's happening at the facility, how you can help. You can also run shifts. So we have, because the beam has to run for 24 hours, we typically break it up into uh, three eight-hour shifts, one of which will run overnight, which is my preferred shift because it means I can... I can do some writing if I need to. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so, so understanding what you're meant to be doing there, what the experiment's about and how you can help. Um, and then in my first year, I did an extended placement at a facility called GSI in Germany, um, where I was tasked with designing analysis software for the new detector array that they've set up for a, a series of um, decay spectroscopy experiments. Um, so I was out there from March until I think it was October, November time. Wow, that, that is a long stint. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, some of that went over my head. I don't know a lot about nuclear physics. Um, but it sounds really, really interesting. And um, it sounds like a really great way to like network and build um, relationships, like professional relationships with people from all over the world. Um, and you might be in a good position once you graduate. Does, is that something that is a benefit as well? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, it's important to, it is, it is definitely very scary to be thrown in at the deep end and especially for for emphasis placements going to France and not being able to speak much French beyond counting to 10 and saying hello um, and again going into Germany and not speaking any German I think it's if, if any of if anyone who's listening is is going on one of those placements my advice would be to just stick with it and try and try and engage as much as possible and 
sort of say, say to your co-workers, oh, do you want to go for a drink or, or for a, a dinner after this and get to know them on a personal level because that will help you socialize and it will prove your language skills and your interaction. Yeah, you've basically answered my next question <laughs> about the advice. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds really incredible as a personal um, development experience, but also professionally. So hopefully that inspires a few listeners to think about it, <laughs> at least. Um, so as we're coming to closer to the end of the, the, the segment, can I ask you one low and one high of your PhD experience so far? <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> um, oh, I think probably the low would be... So after my, after my placement in Germany, um, there was an accident in the lab, which meant that that placement, which was meant to be the data for my experiment, um, and the experiment ended up not happening, um, which meant that I had to sort of reconfigure my whole PhD around some other data that, that I've been working on on the side. Um, so that was definitely a sort of uh, a winding moment. If that, um, but you know, I, I, I bounced back, so it's not the end of the world, but it, it was a... Um, it was it was a definitely a low point. I think high point. It's it's very easy to say that the high point was going off to Japan, and because that's the that's the first time I've been to to Asia. Um, but I think actually it was probably the um, uh, I went to a international nuclear physics conference in Glasgow in, at the beginning of August which for about a good month in the run-up, I was sort of terrified because it was my first big talk in front of all these important academics who know a hundred times more than me. And I sort of kept going through my slides and thinking, oh, this looks very junior. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but going through that process and when I finished and all my friends were coming up to me and my supervisor came up to me and said, that was a, a really good talk. Um, and then I actually went on to give that talk at the summer school, which was immediately afterwards, um, where I won an award for a, a good talk and sort of discovering my own ability to give presentations in an engaging way was definitely something that I very much enjoyed because you don't, I don't think you get many opportunities to reflect on actually how good you are as a PhD student, um, which I think is probably why quite a lot of PhD students end up quitting. But yeah, I think just if there's something that you've done during your PhD that you feel proud of because you've developed a skill, because you've demonstrated a skill that you didn't know you had, um, yeah, it's it probably ends up being a definite high point. That, yeah, that sounds, that the, the first bit sounds like a very tough exercise in resilience, <laughs> but you, you seem to have done really well with it and it, yeah, um, made it to now your final year and learned a lot about yourself in the process, I'm sure, um, especially about um, presentations and like taking the time to, to 
really celebrate with yourself because it's it's easy to get lost in it and just focus on the next big thing without you know really appreciating how far you've come so I, th I think a lot of people get caught up in in the relief of oh it's over yeah and sort of that ends up being the high and really it's think about what you've achieved it's a good definitely a good point and then a good takeaway i think from this this conversation um thank you so much um are there any um any other bits of advice you'd like to share with the audience uh, with the listeners before we wrap up I can't think of anything. I mean, a general plug for rap elections in general. Um, they typically happen around this period of the year. So if you find out when your rap elections, if, if me talking about being a rep has encouraged you, then go out and find out when your rap election is and think about that as a, as a future endeavor. Well, you heard, heard it here from Matt Burnett. Um, thank you so much for your time. And thank if you're thinking about being a rep, um, well, you've got the, the greatest advertisement for it here. <laughs> um, and thank you for sharing your PGR experience. Oh, thank you for having me. It was, it was wonderful. Um, good luck with everything and congratulations on the massive presentation. I think, <laughs> yeah, that is a very, very great way to feel like you're going into the, the last run up of all of what a PhD has to hold. <laughs> Um, it was lovely to speak to you. Thank you. And um, we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. And now I'm talking to the Surrey Peer supporters, in particular, Jade Asbury, a line manager and permanent staff member at Surrey Peer supporters, as well as Ayan Ahmed, um, a psychology PhD and a veteran at supporting students here at Surrey, as we will soon hear. Welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So let's start with a general question. What is Surrey Peer Supporters and what is it that you do? So the Peer Support Service is a service that runs across the university. It's run by students for students. Um, so all of the peer supporters are current Surrey students that are from all three faculties, a range of different programmes and across a range of levels of academia. Um, we run the service in collaboration with the Centre for Wellbeing um, and we currently have 11 fully trained peer supporters who receive training through the Centre for Wellbeing and um, myself and my colleagues in the peer support team as well. So the peer supporters are available to chat to any student online between 7 and 9pm every day of the week, so that's Monday all the way through to Sunday, about any queries, any worries or concerns that students face. And we think that as a service, students talking to students is really, really useful and allows students that are fully trained and know all of the services across the university to help you guys if you have any questions or concerns. That sounds really good, um, especially the students to students aspect, because um, who better to know what life like life for a student is like at Surrey than another student who can uh, commiserate or celebrate with you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned that the supporters come from across all faculties and across the university. Are they truly our peers? Um, so are they all undergrads? Are there a mix of undergrads and postgrads? Will uh, postgrads be linked to other postgrads since we're here on the postgrad 
um, Society podcast. Yep, definitely. So we have peer supporters from a range of sort of levels. So we've got a couple of undergrad peer supporters. We've got a few that are doing integrated masters. And then Anne is our um, postgraduate research peer supporter. So a range of peer supporters from a range of different levels. Add anything to that, Ayan? Um, no, nope, that's it. Like, yeah, we've got a range of different um, peer supporters and different levels, as Jade said, um, who are all trained um, to kind of offer the same service and to support students. That's really great to hear. And I think we're really lucky to have you here with us today, um, Ayan. If postgrads do call in, um, I'm sure they would like to know that they're talking to a fellow postgrad who will understand the the finer details of life as a uh, postgraduate researcher and um, just generally someone who is well past the undergraduate um, part of university life. Yeah, um, to be honest with you, like it's great to be able to speak to other postgrads um, and I'm able to kind of offer that insight into my own experience and what it's like being a postgrad and some of the services that are available to postgrads but some of our undergraduate and master's students also the fact that we're signposting students to services that are available at Surrey um, they should be able to and can talk to other people and um, not just a postgrad because um, we're all signposting them to the same services so me being on this podcast I just want to highlight that you know, the services that are available for students are available to all students, including postgrads. That leads very well into my next question, and that's about um, possibly what kind of training that the peer supporters received as, uh, receive, as there are definitely a variety of issues that may not necessarily be personal to them, um, that challenges that need to be navigated or situations that may be slightly delicate, and how, how did the peer supporters um, get trained to handle these or to signpost to the right directions? So we um, normally we run a week's worth of training for peer supporters but all of our current peer supporters were previous student life mentors which was that we've been running for 14 years um, and it's recently amalgamated with the peer support scheme and um, so in previous years we've done a full week training with all of our student life mentors which all of the current peer supporters have received. And this year we did a bit of follow-up training, um, mostly around how to do how to be a peer supporter online because this year, obviously with coronavirus, um, the service has become a complete online service, which has its own challenges. Um, so we've had a lot of training around how to um, support people online and still feel like you're receiving that human support that you would do if you spoke to somebody face to face. Um, but during the student life mentor training, taking myself back a year, um, we do a lot of training around having difficult conversations, um, how to maybe talk to somebody that's not feeling that great or is maybe um, in a really difficult place in their life, um, and mostly around active listening, which is really, really important as a peer supporter, being able to, rather than going straight in with, I think I can fix this, here's how, though as peer supporters, they've got all the information about all of the university services often it's more about just listening to that person listening to what they're going through empathizing as a student um, and then considering ways that could work for them to improve their situation without necessarily fixing it there and then 
Um, so we do a lot of a lot of training around that during the training week that we normally do. Um, if we were in a normal situation. Uh, just to add to that, um, during that training week, we also did a lot on um, mental health awareness, um, equality. We also had training um, around the different services that are available um, on campus, around campus, and how to signpost students to those services. That's that's really good. I think um, as a student, as a, a a person who's done their undergrad and now their postgrad here at Surrey, um, one of the first things that struck me was how hard to um, sort of navigate the campuses and to figure out who and where to go um, when I needed a particular kind of help. And is that something that the peer supporters are able to help with, just um, to be someone to chat with? Um, if you're finding something really hard to adjust to, say for example, the transition from undergrad to postgrad or um, life uh, challenges with supervisors or academic staff, um, is that something that we'd be able to call in and help um, get some help with? Yeah, most definitely. And as I mentioned, any peer supporter can help you with that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a postgraduate peer supporter. Um, they all receive the same training. They all receive training on all of the support services. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the campus can be quite difficult to navigate and all of the support services can be quite difficult to navigate. When you first arrive at Surrey, maybe you haven't had a full induction yet. You don't entirely know where to go for what yet. Um, and the peer supporters can really help with that because they've got such a wide range of knowledge about the services across the university. And that's not just wellbeing services, that's where to go if you're struggling with money, where to go for career support, where to go for um, extra skill, academic skills and things like that. So they can help with everything, every possible thing that you might think of. Um, and yes, as well in terms of just having a chat, it might be that if you're living in say a self-contained flat or Manor Park, you're feeling a little bit lonely um, you can just pop onto the team's chat and chat with the peer supporter just for a quick catch-up yeah and because we've got students that are across all levels and especially with the postgrad students um, you know we can also signpost you to some of the student union societies events that occur for both PhD and master students um, just so that you're out and about socializing I mean now obviously things are a little bit different but to try and encourage you know, you to interact with other students, uh, be it virtually or um, some social distancing, face-to-face -face activities. Definitely, you bring up a really good point. That's really definitely very important um, to have that work-life balance and to know what is available out there. Um, so it's great that the sorry peer supporters sort of are an essential part of this wider web of support systems that the university has. Um, I think one of the slight barriers that one uh, might have with hesitating to call in could potentially be um, the confidentiality or knowing whether you know this this conversation is not going to go any further um, and how the caller themselves might be protected but also the peer supporters themselves because they um, are having these difficult conversations with um, some of the students at the university. Um, I think if we could get a better idea from you about um, how that sort of works, it might 
take away some of the ambiguity and that little bit of fear that comes with calling into a support service. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, it can be quite a nerve wracking experience reaching out for support. And there is still a bit of a stigma around reaching out for support and getting help, especially if it's to do with mental well-being. Um, and there can be that worry that, oh, is this going to get back to my supervisor or to the people I work with? Um, so, yes, definitely. So in terms of the peer support service, we're a part of the well-being and well-being and welfare department. Um, so we go by exactly the same confidentiality guidelines as they do. Um, you can speak very openly, very safely with a peer supporter um, and that won't go past the peer support service. Um, I think the only, the only case when we would possibly look at um, speaking to another colleague about any conversation that you have is if um, we think that you're a serious risk, um, either to yourself or to somebody else. But other than that, um, you can speak sort of freely and safely with a peer supporter and that won't go back to your supervisor or to your colleagues at all. Um, the peer supporters are line managed by myself and my colleague Sally um, so they'll often um, sort of send a summary of a conversation they may have to us again confidentiality uh, confidentially so there aren't any sort of names mentioned but it might just be um, I had this conversation this is the support that I gave and the suggestions that I gave and then as line managers myself and Sally would give some maybe suggestions um, for if they had a similar conversation in the future how they could approach that um, and just give some sort of ongoing training there as well and then um, every fortnight the peer supporters meet in um, smaller groups two small groups um, with our colleagues from the Centre for Wellbeing two of the counsellors and they have reflective practice which again is a confidential safe environment it's just a place for them to talk about how they're doing as peer supporters and again receive some ongoing training as well that sounds really good um it's, it sounds really active and dynamic so that it can constantly adapt to the students themselves because um like for example earlier this year how things quite shifted and there's not really a, a rule book or a uh, a guide to how to deal with some of the issues that people might be going through um, when switching completely to virtual learning, um, meetings, research, all of those things. So it's really great to hear that it um, is constantly being discussed and improved upon. Um, you mentioned the Centre for Wellbeing and yes. it's such a great service and to have it directly on campus but I think for some of the returning students, um, the concern might be that knowing last year it might have been a little bit oversubscribed. If there um, are any changes that might have happened to streamline the process between um, within the Center for Wellbeing itself, but between you and the Center for Wellbeing as well. Yeah, most definitely. So um, as the peer support service is in its first year of running, um, we are collaborating with the Centre for Wellbeing quite a lot. And we have our two counsellors from the centre who run reflective practice. Um, so that's a really good way for us to um, bridge that gap and really become part of wellbeing and welfare. Um, in terms of sort of improvements to wait times and things like that, we recognise that year on year there's increased demand and therefore longer waiting times. Um, so this year at the Centre for Wellbeing, they've actually introduced a new model called uh, one at a time counselling, which is part of a stepped model. Um, so this means that rather than booking in for three, four, five, six sessions at a time, you just book in for one. Um, around 70% of people generally when they go to speak to a counsellor, they only normally have one session anyway. Um, and they find that this is enough really for them at the time being. And it might be that they come back for counselling again in a few months or something like that, but they don't have to subscribe to a block necessarily if they don't need it. 
So we're going to be trialing that this year. Um, it will be part of a stepped model, so it might be that if you do require further support, you are booked in for a couple more sessions if it's agreed at the start of your first session that actually you probably need a few more. And we also have specialist support as well through the Centre for Wellbeing um, for things like trauma and eating disorders as well. Um, so if you need specialist support, obviously you talk to the Centre for Wellbeing one-to-one -one for that. Um, but for those that just want to have a chat with a counsellor, maybe there's something on their mind and they just want to sort of talk it out with somebody, um, one at a time counselling can be really, really useful. And it also reduces waiting times. So we're really hoping that this new model this year will make a difference. I mean that when you um, contact the Centre for Wellbeing to book in an appointment, you're not waiting two weeks before you can speak to somebody, you're just waiting a couple of days. That sounds very exciting for the upcoming year and I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping along with you that this um, works really well because being able to serve all of the students um, at the university would be incredible. Yeah and we're really looking forward to getting started, starting the semester and seeing how it goes. And hopefully this should encourage um, PhD students that do want to seek further help or need that just that one session to actually go ahead and, and make an appointment to see a counsellor. Um, PhD can be stressful um, and there's a lot of anxiety around it as well. So, you know, hopefully this system will allow more uptake from postgrad students. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Ayan, as a postgrad yourself, how, how do you find it? Um, relating to undergrads when they call in um have you found yourself in any um awkward situations or anything that you might um need to sort of refer back to someone else um just as from a personal point of view working as a peer supporter have you found it in all honesty i've actually really enjoyed being a peer supporter previously i was a student life mentor um, and i love the social interaction with other students from different departments across all levels and disciplines. Um, for me, the one-to-one -one through my shift log with my line manager and also the um, every fortnight training with the counsellors really allows me to kind of home in into my skills sets in listening more effectively and being able to provide the right support for students. Um, because I've experienced being an undergraduate and a master's student, a master's student, I can kind of relate to some of the issues that they may have. Um, so a lot of it comes from either experience or knowing what type of services we do offer on campus. Um, so in all honesty, like there isn't too many problems I've come across that I haven't been able to handle myself. Um, but having said that, we are constantly supported. Um, and the fact that as peer supporters, we're a team and we're able to kind of rely on each other for for that kind of support to be able to do, provide for students is really really important yeah, it sounds like you've got you're all in very capable hands and if anyone um felt like they needed to call in they would quite quickly find out where they might need to go or um have someone to talk to i think it sounds very very encouraging from where i'm sitting <laughs> Um, yes, and the fact that we've got line managers as well, um, if there are situations or scenarios where, you know, we would need to contact the line manager for further support, that's always there as well for the student. Um, but in most cases, it's just, you know, signposting students to services and encouraging them and empowering 
to kind of be be able to contact other services to get the support they need that's brilliant that really is um how do you find it um fitting in with your schedule as a postgrad um um not too bad to be honest with you it's actually even better being online um so it's in the evening from seven till nine um and that's just perfect it kind of gives me an opportunity to kind of stop working um shifts are usually one or twice a week um so it kind of fits in really nicely as it's in the evening time and training mostly is in the evening as well so it doesn't interfere with anything that i have to do during the day with regards to my phd that sounds really good and um possibly we could get more of our listeners to consider applying to um the surrey peer supporters in the next com- in the coming um empl- recruitment cycle if be amazing yeah <laughs> really good we would absolutely love that um, <laughs> we are looking at recruitment for the next academic year because we have to think a year in advance um so we will open recruitment again in february 2021 um, and then we generally interview between march and july and then we train in um, early September to start again for Welcome Week, Welcome Week and Moving Weekend. Well, if you're listening and you, this sounds like something that you might be interested in doing or um, interviewing for and getting training for, um, well, you know who to contact now. The Surrey Peer Supporters will have their um, recruitment cycle around February. Is that right? That is correct. And you could be on the other side of the the phone call or (laughs) um, speaking to students and helping them out um, in the coming year. Um, I'm going to end this with maybe a a question that might pass through a few people's minds and that might be targeted at um, either Jade or Ayan, whoever feels um, like they'd like to answer. Is there any query or call that might be too insignificant any question that might not be worth calling in for i had you want to take this one (laughs) yes i would say no (laughs) 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 Um, you can call in about anything um because you know if you need that support or if you have a question um that you may feel that might be insignificant but you would like you know some guidance on it feel free to call that's that's my opinion jade yeah no question query or concern is too small um and it might be that you think it's a silly question but it's definitely not I'm there to help you that's amazing thank you so much um and so we've spoken about everything that the peer supporters provide and the whole system and the structure behind it but how do we actually go through the process of getting in contact and calling the peer supporter service? That is a great question. Um, so on the MySurrey website, we have a peer support page. So you can just go to surrey.ac.uk slash peer support. And on that page is all the information about how to contact a peer supporter. You can either email them, you can pop onto our, any of our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yes. Or a social media. <laughs> what did I say? A social media, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or you can um, go through our Microsoft Bookings page 
and book in a 10 or 30 minute chat with a peer supporter through Microsoft Teams. Um, so there are a variety of ways of contacting a peer supporter, it just depends on how you would prefer to contact somebody and if you'd rather do it through typing a message or actually speaking to somebody face to face or through audio. That sounds like a lot of options and something for everyone that might either have reserves or um, any um, accessibility requirements in getting in contact with you. That is amazing. Thank you so much for um, your time today. I think yes. I think everyone will um, really enjoy listening to this episode and just knowing that the Surrey Peer Supporters are out there. They may not call in immediately, but they will have it at the back of their mind that you are out there and are there to provide service, like a support service for all of the students, no matter what level. Yeah, yeah we're definitely. On every evening from seven to nine. Thank you. Um, it was great to have you on the show and um, we hope that we'll have a lot more people calling in. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for having us. Bye. Bye.